0: Oh, hey, Rebels. I bet you're expecting Ezra LeVant's voice, but no, it's me, Sheila gunn Reid. I'm guest hosting for Ezra on the show tonight. Tonight on the show, we are going through a report prepared by the federal government for the federal government that shows that people in Canada were largely uncomfortable with the government's crackdown on peaceful protesters in Ottawa. And that many people actually disagreed with the media coverage and the political rhetoric that said that the protesters were disruptive or violent. It's fascinating because the government completely disregarded what they knew Canadians felt about the protests to impose Martial law to lock up and punish dissidents. Then David Menzies joins me to try to untangle the spider web of whatever is happening in Brampton, Ontario, as Patrick Brown, the mayor there, continues to run the place like Kazakhstan. Now, I know you like listening to the show. I like listening to the show. But it's even more fun to watch early and ad free, and the best way to do that is to become a subscriber to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's our premium, paywall content, and it is completely on time and ad free. It's only eight bucks a month. You get my show, the Gun Show. You get a nightly Ezra Levant show, David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup, Andrew Chappellosa's show, Cat Nats show. It's only eight bucks a month to subscribe. Super easy. Go to Rebel News Plus. Dot com. Before I let you go, though, do me a favor. Wherever you're listening to us right now, leave us a five-star review. It helps other people find the show, but it also helps us beat CBC in the podcast rankings, and that's just a little something you could do for your old buddy, Sheila. Great. Thanks, and enjoy the show. The media and the politicians tried to gaslight a nation into accepting what they had done to peaceful protesters in Ottawa, but in the end, the only people they ended up gaslighting was themselves. It's September 22nd, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunn but you are watching The Ezra Levant Show.
1: Shame on you, you censorious bug!
0: I think the last time I guest hosted for Ezra, I talked a little bit about how cults of different sorts permeate during times of upheaval and awakening. And I think we have a bit of both. I was talking about the bizarre free man on the land cult of Queen Romana. She's a cult leader who traverses the country in a crowd-funded Winnebago, and who also claims to be the new Queen of Canada after the American military allegedly assassinated the Queen of England. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Romana inspired her followers to perform citizens' arrests on police officers. Naturally, Romana didn't participate. She kept the Winnebago warm. Romana has basically attached herself to the fringiest of the fringe and the most desperate and broken of the anti-lockdown movement, capitalizing on the fact that people are so destabilized by the COVID-induced failings of the institutions they thought would never fail, like the courts, the police, the government, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. If you could be coerced into taking a vaccine you know in your heart doesn't work just to keep your job, if the government could arrest you for having family get-togethers like Christmas, and if you can be locked down in your country like some unfortunate North Korean Why couldn't this mad woman be the queen? And worse, still the mistreatment and demonization of lockdown resistors and vaccine skeptics by politicians and the media? Well, that stuff only drives people into the clutches of Queen Romana. For some, she's the only one listening. Now, she's doing it for predatory reasons, of course, but she's the only person listening sometimes. But it isn't just people in the fringes of the pro-freedom movement that are subject to cult indoctrination. The Trudeau liberals are trying to do it to you too. But back in the day, your cult leader had to stand on the street corner and tell you about the end of the world. They had to hand out pamphlets. It was a lot of hard work back in the day to get followers, devotees, and brainwashed cult victims. But now they don't have to hand out pamphlets or proselytize or in-person evangelize. They've got the mainstream media barfing their gaslighting cult doctrine into your house every single day. And into your phone, and you pay for it all. Let me show you this. I saw this a couple of days ago in Blacklock's Reporter. They do great work over there. Feds told they went too far. Cabinet in confidential polling was told many Canadians supported the freedom convoy, with the majority opposed to use of extraordinary police powers to end the protest, documents show. Most felt this action represented significant overreach, pollsters told the Privy Council Office, though a small number of participants felt implementing the Emergencies Act was a necessary step Given the disturbance caused by the seemingly indefinite nature of the protest, most felt this action represented significant overreach by the federal government as they interpreted this as limiting the right of these Canadians to peaceful protest, said a pollster's report, continuous qualitative data collection of Canadian views. The findings were based on federal focus groups held nationwide from February 2nd to 28th as cabinet invoked the act to end a trucker's blockade outside Parliament. Researchers found support for the Freedom Convoy from British Columbia to Prince Edward Island, you know, so the whole country. But we went looking for that survey. Now, though that survey has been conveniently disappeared from the public record, we were able to get our hands on it. It's 80 some pages long. I'll publish it. So you can read it in full because I think you should, you'll see your politicians lying to you. It does say that the government was informed through their own survey data that many people, regardless of their viewpoints on the mandates, disapproved of the unlawful, unconstitutional crackdown on peaceful protesters in Ottawa by way of invoking martial law using the Emergencies Act. Let's read some of those findings together, shall we? A significant number identified with the frustration expressed by the protesters regarding ongoing public health measures even if they disagreed with some of the methods. Among participants who were supportive of the protests and their aims, it was felt that the protests had been mostly peaceful and that these individuals had the right to express their opinions. While some were hesitant to condone the disruption caused by the protests, most of these participants felt the aim of the protest of ending COVID-19 mandates was justified and something they too supported. Most of the participants. A few participants expressed excitement regarding what they perceived as Canadians standing up for their rights and freedoms and were passionate in their support for these protests. A small number also felt media coverage of the protests had been primarily one-sided and had unfairly portrayed the protests in a mostly negative light. For those who felt the Emergencies Act was a disproportionate response on the part of the federal government, many thought there were other steps that could have been taken prior to invoking this legislation. This is interesting. Most of these participants believed the protest to be primarily legal and peaceful and did not represent a public order emergency. Some of the participants were particularly unnerved by the reports of protesters and their supporters having their bank accounts frozen and expressed anxiety at law enforcement being imbued with this power. A few expressed a growing lack of trust in the federal government, which they felt was limiting the rights of Canadians to protest in a peaceful manner and were concerned the Emergencies Act could be used routinely going forward to limit public dissent asked how they felt the government of canada could have responded those opposed to the use of the emergencies act suggested more steps could have been taken by federal officials to open up a dialogue with the protesters and hear their concerns a small number of these participants felt that rather than denouncing the protests the federal government should have listened to them Well, if you got all your news from the mainstream media, that's definitely not the sense that you would get. You might even think that you were largely alone, completely alienated in believing that the government had gone too far in seizing bank accounts, stomping on old ladies, targeting journalists and arresting grandmothers for organizing month-long street parties. You would think that you were in the minority. You see, it's subtle, it's destabilizing, and it works on some people. That's why the government does it. Canadians appear to be nearly split when it comes to protests having an influence in loosening pandemic restrictions. An Ipsos poll exclusive to Global News conducted after police enforcement began in Ottawa shows 54% of Canadians believe the nationwide trunker protests had at least some effect on provincial governments easing restrictions. The majority of Canadians disapprove of how Justin Trudeau handled the protests, with 57% not happy with how the Prime Minister dealt with proceedings. Conservative party leaders and the truckers themselves also had a majority disproving of their handling of the situation. But when it comes to how the protests in Ottawa came to an end, the majority of Canadians, nearly 6 in 10, saying they believe they were dealt with in the best possible way given the circumstances. Oh, but that's not what the data says. Now, I know why the Liberals are lying about the public support for what they did to the convoy. They like all cult leaders, have a pathological need to hold on to power at all costs and by any means. But the media, for them, it's more cynical. They'll do whatever their paymaster tells them. If Justin Trudeau is the cult leader on the street corner telling you to question your reality, the mainstream media is surely the sandwich board he's wearing. Stay tuned. My friend David Menzies joins us to update us on all the latest comings and goings around Patrick Brown and his run to continue to be the mayor of the suffering city of Brampton, Ontario. My motto touched on a politician who just could not read the room and just did whatever he felt like. Of course, you know, I'm talking about Justin Trudeau, but there is another politician in the country who has the exact same, let's say, ethics challenges as Justin Trudeau, but he was a little bit more proactive than Justin Trudeau because he installed his friend as the ethics commissioner to review his ethics problems. Very, very forward thinking. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about the beleaguered, embattled, mayor of Brampton who wanted to run the Conservative Party of Canada, Patrick Brown. And Patrick Brown, well, he's basically a full-time beat. And that's why I'm bringing in my friend David Menzies to update us on the latest in the Patrick Brown saga. And before we came on air, I was saying, I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I start an interview where I plan to update people on what's going on in Brampton? Because there's a lot of moving pieces in every stone you overturn is just another Patrick Brown being Sneaky Patrick story.
1: There is no logical place to start, Sheila. As a matter of fact, a Brampton insider, he told me, uh, because I was asking him questions, why haven't so many of the complaints been investigated yet? These are complaints about his uh, style of governance uh, that haven't um, been officially looked at. And he said to me something really profound yet funny, Sheila. He said, "Uh, are you familiar with The Simpsons? I said, yeah. He said, did you ever see that episode where Mr. Burns goes to the doctor and the prognosis is Mr. Burns, I don't know what to say. You have every disease, every <laughs> element known to mankind. We don't even know where to begin, right? That was his position. Where does one begin? Well, why don't we begin with one of the latest um, scandals, Sheila? And um, our viewers can go to The Pointer, uh, which is an online pub- uh, publication that covers Brampton, Mississauga. And they are doing phenomenal work on this file. Uh, I, I call them as I see them, as you know. And basically, the most recent story was the fact that, Pat, there was a forensic audit going on in regard to Brampton University, which is a sinkhole of millions and millions of dollars. And there's nothing to show for it, except that certain consultants are getting rich, allegedly, for not doing anything. And what happened last Friday, Sheila, and this is truly this. This makes me say that the ministry in the province that looks after municipalities has to step in because this is criminal. Patrick Brown learns that one of his um, enemies on council, and that would be Mr. Dillon, he's going to be out of town. So he calls immediately a council meeting, knowing that he has enough votes to get his way. And it's like an hour's notice, something like that. And here's the deal, Sheila. Mayor Brown and Councillor Santos, they're totally involved in this failed, and I would suggest fraudulent, Brampton U uh, project. They are the ones under the microscope of the forensic audit. And guess what? Brown puts forth a motion to shut down the audit. This is the most outrageous conflict of interest and the fact that the meeting is called on very short notice when he fully knows that one of the votes that would, um, you know, go against this and make it a stalemate uh, is gone. It, it is absolutely mind-boggling in addition to all the things that we've reported, um, such as the hockey rink uh, that's let's, been built. Sorry,
0: let's yeah. just stop, stop and talk about the hockey rink fiasco because I got to give credit where it's due. Patrick Brown, he has a little he's so sneaky but he's got some foresight yeah um so you catch him last year famously at the hockey (laughs) rink with his hockey bag he says he's there inspecting the ice sure um with your hockey bag and all your buddies on the ice when little kids had been banned because of covid restrictions from playing hockey he and his friends were keeping this sort of private ice service in a. Municipal facility so that they could go and play hockey. The the crass ghoulishness of it all Mm -hmm. upsets me. You catch him in the act. And so this year, in case there were a lockdown, but so that you could never catch him playing hockey in a municipal rink, he built his own rink. And even then, I think he did that sneakily. Tell us about that.
1: Or, or did he build that rink, Sheila? Who knows? Because the allegations are somebody, <laughs> namely the Capel family, which runs a financial services and uh, insurance business in Brampton, who were also the owners of the house uh, where uh, the rink is. It's. It By the way, that's a scandal, too. The house address doesn't officially exist in Brampton. 67 Main Street South, Um, it's six, they have a 71 and a 69, but no 67. So it's almost that he's trying to hide a 1.5 acre property situated within walking distance of downtown Brampton. But the allegation (laughs) is that um, uh, the Capel family uh, built this rink, much like they put $500,000 of renovations Uh, into uh, 67 Main Street South, much like they put um, $800,000 in renovations into, I think it was 127 Main Street South, his previous uh, house. And the quid pro quo, allegedly, and and there's going to be a forensic audit about this, Sheila, is that the Capels, who, like I said, are in the insurance And um, financial services business, I'm sure they do a great work there. They get the PPE contract for the city of Brampton. And allegedly, there's already been a check that's gone out to a numbered company for $1 million to a post office box for PPE services. I mean, this is outrageous. Now, we've gone to the city. We've gone to Mayor Brown. We've gone to the fire chief, Bill Boyes. Uh, and Bill Boyes, uh, to bring it back to the hockey rink, can you imagine this, Sheila? As you know, hockey surfaces need um, maintenance. They need resurfacing. And uh, Brown hasn't um, acquired a city Zamboni yet. So what he had done last winter is a pump Allegedly. A drug- allegedly Allegedly. oh no actually we have eyewitnesses that have said they have seen this the fire chief has uh, um come to the property to flood the ice with this truck first of all who's paying for the water i know uh, my source told me at construction sites when you see those water trucks yeah that's about seven hundred dollars worth of water that they're carting around secondly it's the use of the fire truck itself and by the way sheila the chutzpah of this man, could you imagine if a five alarm blaze broke out and they said, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's a you know all hands on deck and they're told, well, unfortunately, the chief is over at Casa Brown flooding the ice with pumper number 13. Right. And allegedly uh, chief boys and some other firefighters were playing hockey with Brown during working hours everything is a scandal everything is a shite show there in the last four years since patrick brown uh, became mayor sheila it's never ending and what you have to understand is that anyone that's appointed there is an insider connection for example Maniza sheik she was the integrity commissioner she was the one that investigated patrick brown for illicitly playing hockey where we caught him red handed uh, she did a big report. The only thing she wrist slapped them on, Sheila, was that he wasn't wearing a mask. Not about the lies, not about going into a rink and playing hockey with his buried boyfriends when the children of Brampton couldn't go on baseball diamonds and socket pitch, soccer pitches and whatnot. Just the fact that he wasn't wearing a mask. Now, I should tell you, Sheila, Maniza Sheik was fired earlier this year uh, because the you know, when everyone attends council, there are more anti-Brown than pro-Brown councillors. And, and one of the reasons she was fired, in uh, she had billed the city more than $660,000 for what was essentially part-time work. Now, she is suing the city for $20 million in a wrongful dismissal claim. And guess what? Patrick Brown is supporting her. So imagine you are a resident of Brampton. And a lot of people in Brampton, uh, they're immigrants, Sheila. They're working their butts off with two, maybe three part-time jobs. 70% of Bramptonians, I understand, are renters. They're not property owners. And you hear about these real estate deals where somebody is allegedly getting payola. And you see an ex-employee being supported by the mayor, to take $20 million out of your pockets because she is a friend and a campaigner of the mayor. It is outrageous.
0: Yeah, uh, that's the craziest part is how do you appoint someone who's supposed to be independent to judge the ethics of your behavior? And she's been prominently featured in your campaign material. Previously, that's who this woman is, and now she's suing for wrongful dismissal. She was raking in big dough as a part-time employee, constantly siding with Patrick Brown on all of his issues. Now, there's been another ethics ruling after you did a very long-term comprehensive investigation into the potential use of Patrick Brown and using city staffers to work on his campaign campaign to lead the Conservative Party of Canada. Thankfully, that campaign is over, but there was an investigation spurred by your investigation, and there's been a ruling. Now, what you're seeing reported in the mainstream media and what Patrick Brown is saying about that ruling, uh, they really don't meet with reality once you actually drill down and read the ruling that was issued. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, Sheila, as you know, for several weeks when Patrick Brown was still running to be the leader for the Conservative Party of Canada, he was running a secret campaign headquarters. It was like a boiler room in the city of Vaughan, not Brampton. That's the first you know, uh, instance where I wa- raise a an eyebrow. Secondly, we detailed senior city staff um, going there. On a regular basis, I have a calendar. I've noted the days, the times. I've taken pictures of their cars, their license plates. Not only that, some of those staff members were flown across Canada to be to uh, Vancouver, to Edmonton, to Calgary, to the east coast, um, and yet they're supposed to be working for, uh, you know, the city of Brampton. Well, why you can't do that? This is against the um, Elections Act. This is against the Brampton Code of Conduct, and we caught Patrick Brown, and when I say we, that was Lincoln, J. and I. I remember the date perfectly, Friday, uh, June the 3rd. Uh, we caught him red-handed, just like Lincoln and I caught him red-handed at that rink in uh, July of uh, 2020. And an in so a new integrity commissioner comes in. Now, the city of Brampton, as I mentioned before, they don't have an integrity commissioner. Uh, she was fired and suing the city, which and, Bram, and Brown supports her. So this guy's like a freelance uh, integrity commissioner. He, he's, his name is Jeff Abrams, he runs a company called uh, Principles Integrity. And uh, essentially, he acted on a complaint from a councillor to investigate the use of of city staff and city resources. And he came to the conclusion that all of those staff members, over all of those weeks, Sheila, they had taken time off. Oh, okay, where's the beef? Well, even Mr. Abrams in his report says, unfortunately, the only records available are electronic records. And he admits they could have been altered after the fact. But you know what? Um, Given uh, Brown's stellar reputation, we'll just take his word for it. And he even uh, threw a smear our way, Sheila, he questioned uh, the journalistic objectivity or integrity of our report. Oh, really? We have reached out to their side numerous times to get their side of the story. We had our um, video lawyered. Um, We have done everything to make sure it is factually bulletproof. And this freelance integrity commissioner, and by the way, when I trace the address for this guy's business, it's a residence in North Toronto. It's not even in an office building or an industrial park. The guy runs it out of his home. And suddenly this integrity commissioner is an expert on journalism. Really? You know, this is indeed another scandal. And i got to tell you, he didn't even look at, and maybe someone else has to, um, you know, file a complaint that... um, office in vaughn where the secret headquarters was sheila that's a friend of patrick brown that gave it to him allegedly rent free which as you know is a donation in kind which is again more ethics violations but nothing sticks because this guy puts insiders you know into the watchdog's kennel you know it, and it's the old uh, latin phrase uh that um you know, I, I quote often, Sheila, especially in Patrick Brown's case in the city of Brampton, uh, which translated in English, who
0: watches the watchers? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's running that place like it's a narco state, like it's <laughs> Kazakhstan. He's contaminated the um, municipal uh, buildings with his nonsense. The fire department, Lord knows what's going on with the police. He's got one and two ethics commissioners now just siding, not even investigating. I, I mean, the latest ethics investigation said that there should be better records keeping. They recommended that. But what I thought was interesting was when this latest ethics commissioner, integrity commissioner, does a drive by smear on us questioning the quality of our journalism. You know what I normally do when I'm investigating a story? And I know you do this, too, because it's something we insist that our journalists do we reach out to the other side for their version. And did you ever get a phone call or an email from that integrity commissioner when he was investigating revelations found in your work?
1: I originally got one email from him. Uh, It was a nothing burger. It wasn't answering any specific questions. That was the the, the follow-up email I had. And I went to his residence. He wasn't home, but a Uh, a lady, I assume it was his wife uh, was and said, uh, he's probably not going to want to talk to you. Uh, But Hmm. yes, we have reached out. I put the questions in writing and my one of my sources, Sheila, says um, he did some investigation and he found out that Jeff Abrams went to the University of Windsor and he said, guess what? So did Patrick Brown. So maybe I don't know for sure. That's the connection. And my source said, you know, when he was at the University of Windsor, Patrick Brown, as a student, guess what? He was going to dinner with the dean. Uh, he was, um, oh, yeah, like he's always working on an angle. Oh, he's, God, I, this
0: guy. He's, he's always like three got... steps ahead with the sneakiness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and I, I got to tell you, Sheila, getting back to the hockey rink, I think the real reason for it is this, because we know he can go into any rink at any time. But I think the lockdowns are coming back this winter. I truly believe that. I hope I'm proven wrong. I think around flu season, we'll see that. And sneaky Patrick Brown, he always thinks he's one step ahead of the game. And so instead of sneaking into arena, because he knows uh, we'll out him, bring the arena to his yeah. backyard. <laughs> and um, I think that is the rationale behind this, uh, Sheila. But he got caught. And I, like I said show me who paid for this right another question show me if he's leasing the property and he'll pay the capels for it after the election or he has actually bought it as well last month when he registered to run for the mayor of brampton what address did he put on that application we got to reach out and find that out sheila because as i said 67 which is you see is the address on the front door according to the city, does not officially exist, right? But it does match the footprint of 69. So what I'm getting at, Sheila, is that if he doesn't have the right address on his papers to the city saying that he's running for mayor, uh, there's a chance he could be disqualified because he's no, not being truthful. From your
0: lips to God's ears. <laughs> from your <laughs> lips to God's ears, David. I just, I, I keep going back to this uh, integrity commissioner. He conducts an investigation into the findings in your reporting, but he never reached out to you. Never. For confirmation to see like, who did you see? How long were you there? What hours were you there? What are your records? He concluded you did bad journalism without ever even independently confirming your journalism.
1: It's very fascinating. absolutely 100% right, Sheila. Um, His, I guess this guy might be lazy um, or maybe the fix is so in, why go through the hoops? You are right. If I was an integrity commissioner, if I was a police detective, anything, I would go to the journalistic organization and I would say, um, "What? Give me the dates and times if you if you can. Um, do you have some other footage that never made it to air? Uh, you know, if you'd like us to look at that, we'd be gung ho for that as well. Um, like I said, Sheila, we had this fact checked and lawyered. It is factually bulletproof." He doesn't even say why the integrity of our report is questionable. Um, it's astonishing. And um, I'm going to try. I'll, I'll go back to that. Uh, now that I know where he lives, or rather where his office is, uh, I'll go back and try to uh, get that integrity commissioner uh, to come forth and have him explain, why wouldn't you reach out to us with the um uh, Probably two months worth of work we did, surveillance of city senior staff working at that boiler room. Uh, It is unbelievable uh, that he wouldn't even make a single phone call, Sheila.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what your little green electric car smelled like after you camped out <laughs> for two weeks there or two months there in the summer heat. Uh, David, there's so much going on with the Patrick Brown scandal. He just can't do anything on the up and up. If he put as much work into being just... Hard working as he does into being sneaky, he probably would be further ahead in his life. But I know there's going to be more coming out about him. And I know you're going to be the guy probably to break the news. Thanks so much for your hard work on this.
1: Sheila, if I can just mention two quick things. Sure. One is um, the thing about Patrick Brown and that what gives me a heart palpitation is the fact that <laughs> he was a front runner, along with Mr. Polyev to become the leader of the Conservative Party. What if he had become that leader? Secondly, what if, you know, today can't possibly imagine what tomorrow will bring. He becomes the prime minister. As our boss, Ezra Levin, said, the thing about Brown compared to Trudeau, when it comes to grifting, Trudeau's pretty lazy. Yeah, he'll do a little thing with the (laughs) the Aga Khan and a little thing with the the Wee scandal. But I really want to get on a jet and go to Tofino and Costa Rica and go surfing and smoke a bong. Brown has a work ethic when it comes to grifting that is second to none. He would be working the Prime Minister's office night and day, uh, making himself rich. Secondly, in the um, category of hope abounds, a silver lining, a week Monday, September 12th, I believe, a lady by the name of Nikki Carr, she is going to be running against Brown for mayor. She used to work at the city of Brampton. She was fired, uh, you know, wrongfully and then rehired. Um, She knows where all the skeletons are, allegedly. She knows who's who in the Brampton Zoo. She is Patrick Brown's worst nightmare. Like I said, I believe her kickoff campaign is uh, Monday, September 12th. So we might have a humdinger of a race because the way Patrick Brown gets elected, it's a, a horrible political game, Sheila. He reaches out to all the ethnic communities and he promises them the moon and uh, uh, naturally he never delivers of course so whether it's the tamils the muslims the sikhs the hindus and typically what happens is that the religious leaders at the mosques and the temples say vote for brown a lot of these people they're new canadians many don't even speak the language they're he's just taking told.
0: advantage of them yeah. yep
1: and they go out on mass. They do show up at election day and vote for Brown. And does Brown keep any of those promises? Absolutely not. So let's hope Nikki Carr uh, can give this scoundrel a run for his money.
0: Yeah, if Patrick Brown just put a little bit of that hard work and hustle into just governing the city, um, <laughs> he, the people of Brampton would be further ahead. And they're really, they're the real victims here. They Here's are. To somebody else being in charge of that city. David. Thanks so much for coming on the show and thanks for mu- so much for trying to sort of break down the spider web of Patrick Brown scandals, but I'm sure there will be more.
1: Oh, there's more coming. This spider is a tarantula, Sheila. So thank you so <laughs> much for having me.
0: <laughs> thanks. Stay with us more from the show up after the break. I read your letters to Ezra. we've come to the portion of the show where we hear from you. We invite your viewer feedback. We actually care what you think about the work that we're doing. And if you want to send a letter to Ezra right there, that's how you get in touch with Ezra. Those are all the different ways that you can send us your viewer feedback. Now, today's viewer feedback is on Ezra's cricket monologue from the other day. And I understand that he had a tough go of that <laughs> monologue. He had to stop a few times and uh, stifle the dry heaves. And who can blame him? Humans are hardwired to feel revolted at things that we're not supposed to eat. It's whether you think it is the hand of God or evolution or both of them working together. Those sorts of responses are what have has kept us alive so far. Keeps us from getting sick, from getting parasites, from getting... Uh, food diseases, food poisoning, listen to your gut. Uh, On that monologue, JS writes, I have a dairy farmer in the family. They work so hard. They are not living rich, but they make an honest living. Who knows if this generation's old family farm can continue. I live on the family farm. We are running the family farm. This is the first farm that my family had when they came to this province in 1903. And there really is a war on farmers between the carbon tax, the nitrogen targets, the war on meat, the war on dairy. I mean, really, it's a war on your mind because your mind, your human mind needs things in animal products to function properly so that you can formulate thoughts and resist what the elites want to do to you. It's not about meat. It's about your health and an unhealthy populace is easy to control. And that's why they want you to switch from delicious beef over to crunchy, disgusting crickets. Gord Tron writes, sounds so good. That's the thing. It actually sounds like something when you bite a cricket, right? It crunches and not like in a popcorn or chips or in my case, pork rinds sort of crunch, but like a disgusting, that shouldn't be in my mouth sort of crunch. Anyways, why doesn't Trudeau just Want to keep them all for himself and his friends, he already personally likely produces more carbon emissions than Prince Edward Island (laughs) combined. You know, that's the thing. You go to the World Economic Forum and you know that they are not eating crickets in their closed door meetings. Uh, I can testify to this firsthand. At the global warming climate change conferences hosted by the United Nations, out front in sort of like the green trade show area, they have all the green vegan food that they want you to eat. And it's gross. Um, I made Kian Bexty, uh, our alumnus, uh, eat a burger made of beets that sort of bled and he was dry heaving like Ezra talking about crickets. But I do know because our friends from Climate Depot, particularly Mark Morano, told me, oh, Sheila, back here in this place that Rebel News is not allowed to go, but all the UN delegates are, There's a Burger King and the lineup for the Burger King, where the UN climate change delegates are, and only them, not the public, was hours long. So it only goes to show you that they push for crickets. They won't eat them. The crickets are for you. They push for disgusting, fake, bleeding vegan burgers, but they are eating Burger King behind closed doors. Margot Allard writes... Well, JT should set a good example and introduce food from this company into he and his family's daily diet. Um, that's interesting, again, because as Justin Trudeau is pushing for us to get off single use plastics, a long time ago, and I should do it again, I pulled his household grocery bills and in one month, I think he had spent over $300 On bottled water, and recently I saw our friends at True North, who've done some great work on this, show that at Trudeau's official residence, he spent more than twelve thousand dollars on groceries, dining, a chef, and boutique goods in one month last year. You think he's eating crickets at two thousand bucks a pop for his grocery bill? I don't think so. I bet there's a lot of steak on there, don't you? Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to everybody in the studio in Toronto who works so hard to put the show together and across the country. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes who works to make sure that the show is there for you to find when you need it. And as Ezra says, keep fighting for freedom, but also don't eat the crickets.
2: I'm Jeremy LaFredo for Rebel News, and behind me is the Canadian mission to the United Nations. According to a recent BBC report, Mohammed Al-Rashid, on behalf of the Canadian intelligence apparatus, facilitated the travel of men, women, and children to the ISIS-controlled regions of Syria, where they then joined the notorious terrorist organization. According to a BBC-obtained dossier on the Canadian intelligence asset, during his operation of bringing people to join ISIS, he communicated directly with believed-to-be notorious ISIS recruiter Rafael Haste. I need you to work under me. Officially, I want you to bring us people in, he told Al-Rashid. Al-Rashid, officially working for the Canadian embassy in Jordan, replied, I am ready, brother. The explosive BBC report centered around the case of UK citizen Shamina Begum, a girl who was 15 at the time that she was brought to Syria to join ISIS by Al-Rashid. After the 15-year-old was brought to ISIS, she was married and gave birth to three children, all of which died as babies from various illnesses stemming from the war the terrorist organization was waging against Bashar al-Assad's government in Syria. While bringing people to fight alongside ISIS, Al Rashid was documenting the names and IDs of people he was bringing and sharing that intelligence with the Canadian embassy in Jordan, who, according to Al Rashid, promised him Canadian citizenship. While bizarre, his story is not an isolated incident. It follows the pattern of Western intelligence agencies and governments facilitating support for the same Islamic terrorist organizations that they claim to be against. In leaked U.S. State Department emails obtained by WikiLeaks, Hillary Clinton aide and current national security advisor for the Biden administration, Jake Sullivan, sent an email to Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State, stating bluntly that al-Qaeda is, quote, on our side in Syria. A leaked U.S. embassy cable assessed that the Assad government's vulnerabilities included the potential threat from an increasing presence of transiting Islamic extremists and detailed how the U.S. could improve the likelihood of such opportunities arising. In other words, improve the likelihood of the referenced Islamist extremists of destroying the Syrian government. And the U.S. and their allies in the region did just that. In a speech at Harvard, President Joe Biden explained bluntly that the U.S. and its allies were spending hundreds of millions of dollars on weapons for terrorists. He poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens, thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad, except that the people who were being who were being supplied were al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of Jihadis coming from other parts of the world. It was part of an official, but at the time covert war, President Barack Obama's CIA launched, codenamed Timber Sycamore, which allowed direct U.S. arming and training of Islamic extremists in Syria. As the New York Times put it in 2017, the program proved to be one of the costliest covert action programs in the history of the CIA. Anonymous U.S. officials told the Washington Post that the CIA armed and trained nearly 10,000 terrorists, spending roughly $100,000 of taxpayer money per year for every anti-Assad terrorist who went through the program. But these terrorists, or so-called rebels, were not just killing pro-Syrian government forces. As the New York Times reported, U.S.-backed insurgents carried out, quote, sectarian mass murder. In response to these horrific operations and failed strategies to bring the Assad government to its knees, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, former U.S. military personnel who recently guest hosted Tucker Carlson Tonight, introduced the Stop Arming Terrorists Act into Congress, which would have, quote, prohibited the use of United States government funds to provide assistance to al-Qaeda and ISIS. Although it had bipartisan support of 14 U.S. representatives, it never made it past the House. The recent history of our government supporting terrorism to advance geopolitical goals is emblematic of how empty and morally corrupt the political establishment is. After criticizing the U.S.-funded proxy war in Syria on the campaign trail, President Trump shut down the CIA's Timber Sycamore program for good in July 2017. It turns out it's a lot of al-Qaeda we're giving these weapons to, Trump told the Wall Street Journal. While the recent story of a Canadian intelligence asset bringing teens to Syria to fight for ISIS seems bizarre, it's only a matter of time before more and more stories come out of our political leaders spending taxpayer funds to facilitate terrorism. For Rebel News in New York City, I'm Jeremy Levredo.